One of the most beautiful realities in all of creation is a sunrise. Depending on the morning, you might be treated to a spectacular array of color. Or depending on the weather, perhaps a pale yellow glow behind a cloudy fog bank. But few things are as ordinary and as extraordinary at the very same time as the rising of the sun. In fact, the rising of the sun is so predictable that you could look up any day in the future, put in a location, and calculate it to the minute, you can find the exact time the sun will rise in that location on that day. God's precision is amazing. The rising of the sun is a kind and merciful gift of God to his creation. I am, I am absolutely convinced that the author of Lamentations was, was beholding a sunrise when he wrote, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, our family's home sits on top of a hill facing Chilhowee Mountain. And so we have the tremendous privilege of daily taking in breathtaking sunrises over Look Rock Tower. But here's what's interesting as it relates to this particular passage. Do you think that these daily God-given gifts of these sunrises lead our family to praise. The answer is, sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes our our family group chat will will light up with pictures of that day's sunrise and maybe Psalm 19 or even Lamentations 3 as I just shared a moment ago. But the reality is that sometimes we don't notice at all. But what makes the difference? What makes the difference between just walking past and not not even acknowledging the greatness of what God is doing and walking by and letting that lead us to praise? What makes the difference is, is... Frankly, whether or not we just pause, even for a moment, to acknowledge God's miraculous actions, to think about the implications of what what we are actually beholding. The truth of the matter is that God's extraordinary actions in our lives are so ordinary that it's easy to take them For granted, in today's passage, God's extraordinary actions cause people to wonder. And that wonder and that awe ultimately leads to praise. Our passage is Luke 
1, verses 57 through 80. You remember last week that Mitchell led us through Mary's song of praise. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then verse 56 tells us she returned to her home. So then, hear the word of our glorious God, the creator of the sunrise, from verse 57 and following in Luke 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, because remember, he was unable to speak and and possibly even deaf temporarily. So they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So lead us by your spirit. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So today's passage describes a scene that is unique in redemptive history. 
the, the events here that Luke chronicles set the stage for the coming of God's glorious son who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age to the praise of his mercy and his grace. Now, what happens here is a reality that is so momentous The implications are so great for what is occurring here that we are still celebrating what happened 2,000 years later. What's fascinating about this passage is that there's also kind of a progression of thought that also applies to us 2,000 years later. And that really, this progression constitutes our main focus that God's faithful actions elicit wonder, ultimately leading to praise for God's redemptive plan. God's faithful actions elicit wonder and awe, leading to praise for his redemptive plan. So we'll see that that's in fact what exactly what happens in verses 57 through 66. God's faithful actions elicit wonder in the people. And because Zechariah has like nine months or so to really think things over, he has time to reflect on what God is doing. And that just bursts forth from his mouth the moment God looses his lips. And then in verses 67 through 75, we'll see Zechariah's reflections that lead to praise inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in verses 76 through 80, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is revealing God's plan of redemption. In the opening verses of this account of the birth of John the Baptist, we read, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Much like a sunrise, here is an example of something that is both ordinary and extraordinary At the same time, worldwide, on average, per day, there are about 385,000 babies born. That's like 250 a minute. That's fairly ordinary. But on the other hand, if we, we pause for a moment, because that's what we're doing this morning, we're pausing to, to wonder, to think, to be in awe of what God is doing. On the other hand, if you allow yourself to wonder, the birth of a human being who, who has a soul, who's, who's made in the image of God, the creator of this child, who intimately knows this child, he who is the Lord of glory, 
If you think about that for a second, the birth of even a single child is an extraordinary miracle. Every birth, the life of every child, every male, every female, healthy or unhealthy, regardless of circumstance, is nothing less than sacred. An absolutely precious treasure from the giver of life. But what makes this birth particularly extraordinary is that we can have a fair amount of confidence that of the 385,000 or so babies that are going to be born today in the world, probably none of them are going to be born to a woman the age of Elizabeth. And almost undoubtedly, none of their births were prophesied beforehand by the angel Gabriel sent from God. And with 100% certainty, we know that not one of them will be heralding the coming of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's happening here is utterly unique in redemptive history. On the one hand, it's both ordinary. And on the other hand, it is utterly extraordinary. Now, Somewhat of a family dispute breaks out here regarding the name of the child. That could never happen, right? (laughs) No one ever wants to lay claim for the baby's name. But first Elizabeth and then Zechariah in writing confirms that the boy's name is John. What makes this non-negotiable is that John was the name given to them by the angel sent from God, the angel who stands in the presence of God. To use Mitchell's phrase from last week, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> but this causes the people to wonder since, since, since John wasn't, wasn't a family name, what's wrong with Zechariah Jr.? That's a good name. That's your father's name. Or there might be many other names that would have been perfectly appropriate. Why John? Well, then Zechariah speaks. He speaks for the first time in nine plus months. And when he does, when the silence is broken, fear spreads throughout the people. And this is where the passage begins to get really interesting. That news spreads throughout the whole region, verse 65. And then verse 66, all who heard it laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? In other words, they're pausing to wonder about the extraordinary circumstances surrounding this child's birth. Remember 
the first progression of our thought. God's faithful actions to this one particular family elicit wonder. So what's going on here? God's faithful action in this case is that he did what he said he would do despite what seemed like impossible circumstances. And everybody around has heard about it and they know that this is not ordinary. What about you? What about you in your life when you think about God's actions in your life? Now, undoubtedly your circumstances are different than the circumstances that happened here in this unique moment in history. But have you ever asked God for something? And then he delivered? Maybe you ask God to to protect someone or to help someone or, or to provide something that was really important. And God did it. He answered your prayer. Well, how how did you respond to God's faithful actions in your life? Did it cause you to pause? Did it cause you to wonder? Did it perhaps leave you in awe? Or depending on the circumstances, maybe it caused you to fear. Maybe maybe you were so thankful that it led you to praise. Or maybe you barely thought about it. Maybe you forgot that you even prayed about it and you just moved on to the next thing without acknowledging it at all. You remember the story when Jesus healed 10 lepers and one of them came back to thank him and to praise him, to give glory to God. Now, undoubtedly, all 10 lepers were exceedingly thankful. How could you not be if Jesus healed you from leprosy? But do you remember what he said to that one leper? Where are the other nine? We're not 10 healed. There's a difference from just being generally thankful for what God's doing in your life and taking time to give God glory for his faithful actions to you. So, how do we cultivate this kind of thought process in our lives? I would encourage you not just to think about big, massive extraordinary things that God is doing in your life. But let's begin by thinking about the way God works in our lives very regularly, perhaps on a daily basis to to care for us, to protect us, to provide for us. The reality is that what God does for you on a daily basis, it won't lead you to praise to praise God, praise that he richly deserves. If, if we, like, like my family, walking by glorious sunrises, if we don't take a moment to pause and to 
acknowledge the reality of what God has done, to reflect on what that reveals about his character and his love for us. Now, practically speaking, I'm not saying that every single time that God does something, you have to call Jill and you have to call Kevin and Keith and Alan, have them come over to your house so that we can have a worship service. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we need to cultivate this type of thinking in our hearts. What I'm talking about is the posture of our heart toward God. I'm talking about joyful, thankful, spirit-led obedience. I'm talking about our relationship with the all-giving God and regularly acknowledging his unrelenting generosity. So, kids, I wanted to talk to you um, for, for just a minute about how to cultivate this way of thinking in our hearts, regularly acknowledging God for what he's doing. Maybe some of you get a little bit scared when you go to bed at night, at least some of the time. That was me when I was a child. Uh, that was me last week. <laughs> Sometimes I still very strongly sense the presence of evil, and I feel scared. And so I have to ask God to protect me, body and soul, right? Well, what happens when you wake up in the morning? That's an answered prayer. If you went to bed and prayed, Lord, please protect me from evil tonight. Please guard me body and soul tonight. And then you go to sleep and then you wake up in the morning. Don't take that for granted. Before you run down and have a super healthy breakfast or fruity pebbles or whatever it is that you're having for breakfast, before you get out of bed, stop. Acknowledge God. Thank him for protecting you through the night. Say, thank you for, for answering my prayer. Thank you for your kind provision. It's gracious of you that I woke up this morning, that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you, Lord. That's easy, right? It's not super complicated, but it's also super easy to just get out of the habit of praising the God who provides everything extraordinary and everything ordinary in our lives. In fact, his extraordinary action in our lives is so common that sometimes his miraculous grace can just seem ordinary from day to day. Now, one of the things that's very good about doing this about cultivating a sense of not just general thankfulness, but specifically giving praise to God for his work, is that what happens when God doesn't answer one of your very specific prayers that you have asked of him? Well, if that's a one-off, in other words... Lord, I've prayed this prayer, and now I'm thinking about it, and you didn't answer this prayer, and now my heart is angry, or I'm frustrated, or I'm disappointed, or I'm confused. If that's your only frame of reference, that could be bewildering for you in your faith. But what if on a daily basis, 
you are regularly in the habit of giving God praise for the ordinary and the extraordinary things that he is doing in your life on a daily basis. That will help you, that will help guard your heart against frustration when one particular prayer isn't answered in the way that you thought God should answer it. You have cultivated a sense of thankfulness and not just thankfulness, but the specificity of giving praise to God in your heart. So my encouragement to you, no matter what your age is, is to give God glory, the glory that he deserves for his ordinary grace and for his extraordinary grace. For the people in our story, the fact that Zechariah was was silenced and then the fact that his, his lips were loosed and then the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he opened his mouth and then when he opened his mouth, he blessed God by what he said about this child and about God's plans for his people. It caused the people to respond with everything from wonder to fear and ultimately, to praise. Zechariah had a lot of time to think. And when the Holy Spirit loosed his tongue, this is what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Zechariah had been holding that in for a while. But, but I really do think this is an overflow of how the Lord had been working in his heart and preparing his heart. I, I don't think it's as if he was, he was just staring at the wall in a catatonic state when he was unable to speak. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and just like a ventriloquist just puts words in his mouth and he starts talking. I think he had been thinking about these things for months. And he believed God. And he saw the consequences in his own life of what happens when you don't believe God. But because, but because this history, this history that Zechariah references here at the beginning of this prophecy led by the Holy Spirit, because this history is our history as the people of God, because we as the people of God now are united with God's people from the past by faith, and because in communion, we are celebrating what God has done for his people, let's continue to prepare our hearts for communion by, by, by following along with what Zechariah does here as he prayerfully praises God for his faithful actions. So, look, you may not have Keith and Jill and the gang over, <laughs> Every time you wake up in the morning, right, for, for a worship service, though that would be pretty awesome. But what you can do that is very practical is to practice 
praising God prayerfully. One of the best ways to do this is to pray into the scriptures. That is, taking God's own words and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal how that applies to your life and to praise God for what he has done and what he continues to do. Have you ever been in a, in a, in a prayer time and thinking, Lord, you, you did something great, and so I just want to say you're awesome and thanks for helping me. Those are good things, but do you ever feel like, man, I wish I had better words because <laughs> what God is doing is so great. I wish, I wish something else would be coming out. I feel like that a lot on Sundays. I wish something else was coming out. <laughs> Well, here's a great way to inform your prayer life. Take language that's inspired by the Holy Spirit and incorporate that into how you pray. So here's what I want to do over the next few minutes. I was thinking about this last night, and as I was preparing, I got to this section, this first part of the prophecy, and I thought, how do I explain what the Holy Spirit is inspiring here? And, and, well, basically the Holy Spirit said to me, why are you explaining what I'm inspiring? How about this? Why don't you pray? Why don't you exult in the reality of what I have done? So I want to do that this morning. Um, I want to I take some time to pray over us as a body. I'm just going to pray these particular verses and the implications. My encouragement to you is just in the freedom of the Holy Spirit, if God is working in your life and there's something particular or personal that he brings to mind while I'm praying, pray that. You're welcome to pray privately. You're welcome to pray quietly out loud if you want to because we're all doing the same thing. We are taking time at this moment in the sermon as an application of what we're talking about to exult in the greatness of what God is doing. Okay? So I'm going to start leading through this. You are welcome to allow my prayers to be your prayers. That's totally fine. But I also want you to feel the freedom that if the Lord brings something to mind, you, you pray that. You thank God. You take time to praise him for what you're thinking about. We'll begin in verse 68 with the Holy Spirit inspired words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the God of Israel. Our Father who art in heaven, You are blessed. We pray that your name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, Lord, I know that later in Nehemiah we will read these words that you are exalted above all blessing and praise. So this very morning, because of who you are and because of your faithful actions, we are acknowledging as a people together that you and you alone are worthy of praise. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. As Zechariah prophesied, through your spirit, you have visited your people. 
And as those who live on this side of the cross, we, we recognize that you visited us in the person of your glorious son. You, you blessed your son at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration when you thundered your approval of him from heaven. And we also acknowledge him as your blessed son. Lord, we freely confess that you alone are God and that there is but one God. There is but one mediator between God and and man, and it is the man, Christ Jesus, your blessed and beloved son. It was for our redemption and for our eternal good that he came and that he lived, that he tabernacled among us. Thank you for the redemption we have in his name through the horror of the cross. Your son was the living and moving embodiment of your holy presence on earth until he died and was buried and was taken up into heaven. And Lord, we praise you that he now sits at your right hand. Thank you that when he ascended on high, you sent the spirit to live within us so that we might fellowship with you. As it causes us to long to be in your presence, not just by faith, but face to face, to gaze upon your beauty the majesty of your glory and the fullness of your perfections. Until that day, thank you for filling us with your spirit. Lord, you have raised up a horn of salvation for us. That is, you've shown your strength to save and and your power to redeem. Jesus is the horn of salvation. He is at the same time David's son and David's glorious Lord. We remember the Old Testament imagery of the four horns on the four corners of your altar that were spattered with blood for the atonement of the sins of your people. So so too your all-powerful son through whom you created the world who upholds the universe by the word of his power. God Almighty, El Shaddai, adorned himself in weakness. His blood, your son's blood, our Redeemer's blood spattered on the altar of the cross so that our crimson sins might be washed whiter than snow forever. You are our rock and our fortress and our deliverer, our God, our, our, our rock in whom we take refuge, our shield and the horn of our salvation, our stronghold. As Zechariah says, you, you spoke by the mouth of your holy prophets from of old and you revealed to Zechariah that his son would be the last in this line of prophets. Oh, and we rejoice because in these last days you have spoken to us through your son. You declare to your people that that they would be delivered from their enemies, from from all those who hate them, who, who even this day hate us. Even now, Lord, the world and our ancient foe, the devil, continues to assail us. He hates us. Most of all, because we bear your image and because we are being conformed into the image of your 
glorious son. Oh, he would destroy us. He would sift us like wheat, but, but you ever live to intercede for us. You uphold us with your righteous right hand. You deliver us from the lure of this world, from the temptations of Satan, and from the curse our own sin has brought upon us. Thank you that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Zechariah attributed your action to your mercy. Mercy you promised to our forefathers. Going back to the covenant promise you made to our father Abraham, who was justified by faith, even as he was willing to withhold not his beloved son from you. In your mercy you provided a lamb for the offering, a ram whose horns were were sovereignly entangled in a thicket, prefiguring the one who was to come, the one Zechariah's son John heralded as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because of this lamb, who is at the same time the lion of the tribe of Judah, we as your people have full confidence that we will be fully delivered from all our enemies. Lord, we have been delivered from our greatest enemy, our sin. Not to fall back into it, but to be considered slaves of righteousness, serving you in freedom and with great joy in the splendor of holiness all of our days. Even as we confess that we are unworthy servants whose righteousness is as filthy rags, yet you graciously reward us with your presence forever. Lord of glory, we claim no inherent beauty within us but revel only in the righteousness that are the righteous robes of our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, who clothes us with the impeccable perfections of his absolutely pristine beauty. For these things, along with Zechariah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we praise you. We praise you by the power of the same Spirit who filled Zechariah to offer similar words to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, even now, be reminding your people of the goodness of what you have accomplished for us and the way that you faithfully act in our lives, even when our circumstances are screaming another truth. Zechariah praised you for your merciful plan of redemption, and we also praise you for these things. In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, who passed through the heavens and has sympathized with our weaknesses, yet himself was without sin. In his name, in his name, we have confidence to pray. That is, to draw near to the throne of grace that we as your people may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, to these prayers, the people of God all said, Amen. Amen. When we take the time to think about them, 
God's faithful actions do indeed elicit wonder, leading to the prayerful praise of his people for the mercy of his plan of redemption. With respect to God's redemptive plan then, as we transition to communion to celebrate the sacrifice made on our behalf, note that Zechariah, led by the Holy Spirit, focuses more narrowly now on his own son and the one who will come after him. With respect to his own son, John, the prophecy is, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Just note how straightforward and clear that is. We live in a culture that's almost completely adverse to the idea of real guilt for real sin. A real guilt that deserves real wrath from a holy God and therefore requires real atonement from a real Savior for the real forgiveness of our sins. In order to be really delivered from the domain of darkness of a very real enemy so that we might really get to enter the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is so clear through this prophecy from Zechariah even to his own son in this place. Now despite the unique calling to which he had been called as the last in the line of the Old Testament prophets, which is what makes sense of verse 80 here, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Much like the prophets of old, sometimes God required of them certain things to be an illustration for the people of God. As a protest, John went out to the wilderness to protest the the wealth and the power and the debauchery of his culture so that he could go out into the wilderness where the people of God wandered to meet with God and call his people out for the very same purpose. But who then can provide the forgiveness that is declared here? Verse 78 Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is messianic language about Jesus. Here is the the beautiful imagery of the sunrise again. 
The glorious sun rises after a period of darkness. We all know this from daily experience. In other words, think about it with me. Let's, let's pause to wonder and pause to praise. Built into daily life, that is woven into creation, was a daily image for those in the Old Testament about God, what God would one day do. After darkness, light. It's built into our lives as a daily reminder of what God has done. After darkness, light. This was the rallying cry of the Reformation, post-tenebrous lux. After darkness, glorious light. Isaiah 9.1, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And look at the last few words here of verse 79. What's his final title? Prince of peace. The apostle John puts it this way at the beginning of his gospel. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That is John the Baptist, Zechariah's son from our passage. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In other words, after a sustained period of darkness, the prince of peace himself, the light of the world, came to guide our feet into the way of peace. In fact, he himself is the way, not just to peace, but to the Father. He alone, that is Jesus, God's anointed Messiah, he alone has the power to redeem. Through the atoning death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, real forgiveness for real guilt is offered to real sinners like you and like me. So this morning, through two very ordinary means, broken bread and fruit of the vine, we celebrate the most extraordinary event in the history of mankind, namely the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf that grants us fellowship with God forever. That reality is worth celebrating this morning. Praise be to God.